Welcome to the Midlife Career Rebel, the podcast created for high-achieving professional women to gain the clarity, confidence, and courage they need to go after and get the life and career they want. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Parker-Walsh, lawyer, social scientist, brand strategist, executive coach, entrepreneur, and midlife career rebel. Each week, you'll learn strategies to manage your mind, navigate the challenges of midlife, and take control of your career so you can thrive doing the work you love. So if you're ready to tear up that rule book and create your own, you're in the right place. And I can't wait to show you how. Hey, Rebels, welcome back to the podcast. So let's talk about imposter syndrome. I know there's a lot of information out there about it, but I want to add to the conversation and provide some insights that may help you deal with this ugly monster. Statistically, over 70% of people experience some form of imposter syndrome, so chances are it's reared its ugly head with you too. And the reason I want to talk about imposter syndrome is because if not dealt with, it can prevent you from being confident in all that you have to offer, which in the end can impact your productivity, effectiveness, and income. Imposter syndrome keeps you stagnant and unmotivated, and that can lead to burnout, stress, and unhappiness, ultimately keeping you from living up to your full potential. Also, it's important for you to know that imposter syndrome can manifest itself in very different ways. And as Maya Angelou said, when you know better, you do better. So let's talk about it. Now, the signs of imposter syndrome can vary, but if you are agonizing over the smallest flaw in your work, if you're crushed by even constructive criticism, seeing it as evidence of your ineptness, if you're overthinking everything, second guessing yourself all the time, if you understate your successes or exaggerate your failures, downplay your achievements or successes or discount any compliments given to you, instead of just saying thank you, or if you have anxiety every time you're facing a new challenge, or you're constantly going after yet another degree, certificate, or some training, then you're probably suffering from some form of imposter syndrome. Now, imposter syndrome doesn't discriminate. It can present itself whether you're already wildly successful or you're working to achieve some measure of success. It's a feeling of fear that's caused from faulty thinking or a thought error that robs you from all that you've achieved. For example, some of the faulty thinking looks like this. And this is probably, you probably heard yourself say this one time or, or, or another. Well, I just got lucky. Or I was just in the right place at the right time. The stars were aligned, right? We downplay the successes as I talked about. It's because they liked me that they gave me this opportunity or brought me on board. And if I could do it, anyone could do it, right? So I'm not that special. Or they just let anybody in. <laughs> so it wasn't my accomplishments that got me accepted. They let anybody in. Or someone must have made a terrible mistake. Or, well, you know I had a lot of help. Or I had connections. Or they're just being nice. Or they feel sorry for me. Or, yep, I fooled them again, right? If that is some of the faulty thinking or the thought errors you've been engaged with, that usually stems from that fear and the discomfort of imposter syndrome. So instead of success eliminating those fears, however, it only seems to make it worse because now 
you got to do it again. You got to show that it wasn't a fluke. And that is why they say sometimes we're more afraid of success than we are failure, because we then have to show that it wasn't a fluke, that it really was based on our smarts and our genius and what we had to offer, as opposed to imposter syndrome thinking that was an accident and there's no way that I can repeat it. But you got to know it's just a lie. It's just a thought error. And that we're choosing to believe it, which honestly is exhausting and frankly unnecessary. But wait, before you beat yourself up, I want you to know you're in good company. Like I said, 70% of people struggle with this, over 70% of people. Michelle Obama talked about it. Actresses Emma Watson and Academy Award winner Olivia Colman talked about it. Even Maya Angelou, to name just a few of the prominent women who suffer from imposter syndrome, have shared that they have struggled with it over and over again. In fact, again, to quote Maya Angelou, she said, I've written 11 books, but each time I think, "Uh uh-oh, they're going to find me out. I've run a game on everybody and they're going to find me out. In fact, Amy Cuddy has described imposter syndrome as the deep and sometimes paralyzing belief that we've been given something that we didn't earn and don't deserve, and that at some point we're going to all be exposed, right? So this constant uncomfortable fear of being exposed or found out is at the root of imposter syndrome. And it's not about low self-esteem issues, right? Or believing that you can't do something, because if that were the case, you wouldn't be as successful as you already are. But rather, it's really just a fraud complex and insecurity related to your knowledge or skills. You're not trying to pretend to be something that you're not. And you're just not trying to be more than what you are. You've just become a master at coming up with ways to explain away your successes, your wins, your achievements. Now, I found that most of our belief comes from one of three places that we can trace back to. It's either familial, cultural, or societal. So you just have to try to trace back like where this imposter syndrome for you originated. And knowing where it came from can be really helpful because you'll realize that it's not really your voice, but maybe somebody else's voice or some experience that you witnessed that's really fueling this belief system that you're going to be exposed or found out. So maybe as a kid, you know, you were told by family members or friends or teachers something like, well, you're not as smart as your brother or your sister. Or if you could be more like your cousin Mary, like things would be so much easier for you. Or that's too hard for you. Or maybe in a very well-meaning way, they said, well, I just don't want you to fail. So don't go after anything too big because I just don't want you to fail. Or maybe you were told, stop showing off. Or why are you always trying to get all the attention? Or who told you were that good? Maybe your parents overpraised you or underpraised you. Or parents or siblings or other people express their own fears and limitations in front of you all the time. They always struggle with their own imposter syndrome. And you kind of picked up on that and and started to own that. Or you don't want to outachieve your parents. Maybe you don't want to show them up. You're so honored and proud of your parents, but you don't want to be too much because then maybe they'll feel less than. You have a belief around that. Or there could be some other familial myths or narratives or labels or beliefs that you picked up. There's also cultural origins, like you have to work twice as hard as XYZ to be successful or get ahead. You know, this being held to a higher standard. 
or being told what you can't do, where you can't go, or that quote unquote, our people aren't allowed to do that or go here or say that or all these type of limitations that were kind of placed on you that really make you feel that you don't belong or you shouldn't be where you're at. Or maybe you were told to stay in your lane, keep your head down, don't draw attention to yourself, don't ask for help, just figure it out on your own, right? And Or maybe there's this burden of collective success that what you do reflects upon everybody else in your culture um, so that you have to go to the right college, get the right degree, land the right job, you know, work for the family business, marry the right person, on and on and on. Right. So some of this could be just generated from a cultural perspective or societally. Right. You know, we have a big thing. And did you go to the right school? You know, maybe you didn't go to a four year college. You went to a two year college. What degree do you have? Do you have a master's or do you just have an associate's? Your job, your title, how much money you make, where you live, what you look like. Are you married, single, divorced, with kids, without kids, straight, gay, able? Are you young? Are you old? Like there's so many things that can really <laughs> impact us and our belief in our in ourselves that makes us not feel like we're good enough or that we're struggling. So we're afraid that if we get someplace without having all of this or having quote unquote the right things that will be exposed and be seen as a fraud. And there could also be other things that contribute or play a factor with these feelings. You know, a number of things about working in male-dominated fields or being isolated or being a creative among, amongst a bunch of analytical people or being an analytical person amongst a bunch of creatives. You know, one of the things in my family is that I was raised around a bunch of engineers and math people. Like pretty much everyone in my family is either in engineering or systems or computer work or accounting or something of that nature. And none of that resonated with me. Even my own children <laughs> tend to lean in the more science and technical space. But I've always been a creative. I've always been someone who loves writing and reading and, and performing and speaking. And that side of my brain was so much more active. But I always wondered about my abilities because I was surrounded by all of these technologically, analytically advanced, smart people right? Or maybe you're changing careers or industries or professions, and you're feeling like, oh, now I have to start all over or something of that nature. So there, be, there could be a number of things that are contributing to these feelings of imposter syndrome. So it's really important that we do a little bit of digging and figuring out where it's originating so that we can get clear what's really fostering and motivating it. As a result of this way of thinking and the accompanying, accompanying fears of fear and discomfort, you know, you're always trying to desperately avoid it and get away from it. And because you're trying to avoid it and get away from the feeling of imposter syndrome, you usually engage in a few different coping mechanisms, like either self-sabotaging. So people ask you to do something and you don't respond to them or you procrastinate or you say no, or you never finish something because if you don't do it well, they won't ask you again. And and it just kind of creates a self-fulfilling prophecy or you hold back and don't do your best or you over-prepare, over-deliver because you feel like just what you have to offer isn't quite enough. Or some people use humor um, to kind of downplay their brilliance, you know, so that if it doesn't work, they laugh it off like, well, I didn't really want it anyway, or it didn't matter, or they make a joke about it. So there's different coping mechanisms that we utilize when we have this uncomfortable feeling of being exposed or found out. And we have to also understand all of this and where it's coming from so that we can actually slay that monster. 
Now, Dr. Valerie Young is a leading expert on imposter syndrome. In fact, she co-founded the Imposter Syndrome Institute and authored a really rather good book called The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, Why Capable People Suffer from Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in Spite of It. Really good book. And through Dr. Young's research, she found five types of imposter syndrome. And I think it's important to understand them so you can discover not only which one you may be suffering from, but also to learn from the strategies to try to avoid it. So the five types are the perfectionist, the natural genius, the soloist, the expert, and the superwoman. Now for the perfectionist, this type of imposter syndrome manifests in unusually high and unreasonable standards of expectations. This is probably rather common. You're usually highly critical of yourself and your work and success is rarely satisfying because you always believe you could have done better. So no matter how much you do, you think you could, you could have done better. If you prepared, you still think you could have prepared more. So no matter what, it's just not quite good enough. Now, if that's you and you identify as a perfectionist, some of the things that you want to do is to slow down a little bit and learn how to celebrate your successes instead of glossing over them. And the truth is what you consider satisfactory, I usually say what you consider your B minus work is truly someone else's A plus work. And so what you consider satisfactory far exceeds what's probably required And you need to get comfortable with this idea of progress over perfection anyway. You need to get proud of the fact that you did it. You need to get proud of the fact that other people are responding to it and not just sit and pick it apart. And when you do that, you don't get into the habit of celebrating all that you do well and reconfirming that it is good work, that even though you may think it's B minus, it's still A plus amazing work. Now, author Julia Cameron of The Artist's Way said, perfectionism is not a quest for the best. It's a pursuit of the worst in ourselves, that part that tells us that nothing we do will ever be good enough. So that's really what perfectionism is. So we need to learn what that's about and let that go. So if you struggle from it, realize that it's only pointing out the worst. By trying to be perfect, it constantly makes us look at the worst. It does not make us look at the best. So learn to celebrate what you do have, what you have done, and that your B minus work is great work. You know, I know some heads are popping hearing that, but trust and believe that is probably someone else's A plus work. And it probably is your own A plus work. You're just grading it at B minus. Now, next is the natural genius. This type doesn't believe things should take effort, right? It's this thought fallacy that, well, if it doesn't come easy, then it, I must not be good. And if you were always maybe called the smart one growing up in your family or like grades came easy to you through different parts of your education, this may make you question whether or not you're really smart at what you do when you come across something that's challenging or difficult or advance into higher levels of education or take on tasks or roles that feel to be a little bit more complicated. You'll think, well, it's not just something I need to learn, but how could I be bad at it? That means I'm not as smart as I thought I was. So you start to really question your whole identity. But the problem here is that you're completely focused on your performance and your appearance, right? You want to appear smart, as opposed to believing that you don't know everything and that there's always room for growth and learning. Now, if this is you, you need to learn how to embrace the in-between, how to embrace the in-between that there are things I know and there are things I don't. 
and learn that just because you don't know something, it doesn't negate your intelligence in the other areas of your life and career. Michelangelo had a great quote. He said, if people knew how hard I worked to get my mastery, it wouldn't seem so wonderful after all. Like this assumption that because people seem like it's easy for them, or even if it was at a time easy for you, that it negates the fact that sometimes effort is required. While you may indeed possess some natural genius, and many people do, it doesn't mean that you don't have to practice or improve your craft or learn something new to stay current and on top of your game. And when you can learn to embrace that, you'll be able to embrace the truth that even as a genius, you can always learn something new. Effort always raises the bar on ability. So appreciate that a great achievement requires lifelong learning. Now, the next one is the expert. And here, Young describes this type as someone who feels as if they never know enough. So their competency isn't based on what they know, but by how much they know, right? Think of the person who, think of Jeopardy, right? The expert is somebody who feels like every answer on Jeopardy they should know. And how could anyone possibly know all that? I'm always shocked when I watch Jeopardy and see people answer some of those questions, And I believe women are prone to this one because they grow up with this underlying message. I mean, we all do about like there's some deficiency in us. There's some deficiency in our knowledge or some deficiency in what we're capable of being able to do. It's just this is, again, one of those societal things that really could be embedded and impacting our ability to believe that what we have to offer is good enough and that we're not going to be exposed as a fraud. So if you struggle with needing to be an expert, and you believe that competence requires absolute knowledge, this is going to be a problem. You'll engage in endless pursuit of unnecessary trainings and degrees and credentials, as I talked about before. In fact, you won't go after a new role, a position, or even entertain changing careers until you feel like you've mastered everything. I see this so much with people who are thinking about getting your promotion or changing industries or going to a new role. And the first thing they come to mind is, I need to go get a certification. I saw a certification program, a training program. Maybe I should get another degree in this before I attempt to go after that. As opposed to going back into the repertoire of everything they already bring to the table and figuring out how to leverage that to be successful in what they want to do next. The truth is, however, you don't need to read any more books or take any more classes or get any more degrees or certifications before you can declare yourself an expert. It's only a way to hide or to cover a deeper insecurity within yourself, maybe from some messaging you received about your abilities or intelligence, again, from your family or from somewhere in your youth, from a teacher or a guidance counselor or something of that nature. There's been story after story of including Michelle Obama or the uh, Katanji Jackson, the new Supreme Court judge, justice, and even myself having been told by guidance counselors in high school not to aim too high for uh, certain educational institutions because they may seem out of our reach. So getting these messages can totally impact our ability to think about what is possible for us. So to combat this, a great way to combat the expert fear of imposter is to mentor junior colleagues, to find people that you can share your expertise in so that you can really reaffirm the fact that you do know some stuff. You don't need to know everything, but you do have some expertise in you. 
you know, volunteer to engage that inner expert. And remember, you don't need to know everything. You just need to be smart enough to find someone who does. That's really the key. And I love this quote by Mike Myers that encompasses the expert type of imposter syndrome. He said, I still believe that at any time the no talent police will come and arrest me. (laughs) Now, the next type is the soloist. And this is the type that doesn't like asking for help. It sounds something like this. If I know what I'm doing, why would I need some help? And the belief that true competence equals unaided achievement. That if you received help, support, or coaching, that your success doesn't really count. And women who labor under the mythology of things like the strong black woman or, you know, the tough or badass woman, I believe also struggles with this because they interpret asking for help or support as an act of weakness. And this is one of the most dangerous types of imposter syndrome, especially for women of color, because it's isolating and you never learn how to own your power and authority. When you're already one of a few in places and spaces of leadership, you live under the misguided assumption that everyone else got there on their own. When the truth is everyone who has achieved some level of success did so with the support or aid of someone or something else. And instead of seeing and knowing that truth, you question your own abilities and competencies when you receive the slightest bit of support. It's why so many women of color do not go after mentors that's been well documented and studied. Well, they don't hire or utilize coaches like myself, or if they do, they do so secretively so no one will know. It's like a badge of shame instead of one of intelligence and professional savvy. Most of the most successful people in their careers are there because of coaches and mentors. Now, this overinflated sense of self-sufficiency causes women to overcommit, overwork, and overtax themselves to the point of burnout, stress, high blood pressure, hypertension, obesity, and heart disease. One of the reasons I think is the number one killer of women. Les Brown had it right when he said, ask for help, not because you're weak, but because you want to remain strong. I think that's very powerful. Help doesn't negate your abilities or your competencies. Competency isn't knowing how to do everything yourself, but instead it's knowing how to identify the resources needed to get the job done. And having additional help can mean giving you back more time, access, information, space, and even money. You don't need to be the lone ranger to be the strong woman, the badass woman, or to effectively get the job done. Now, finally, there's the superwoman. This type sees themselves as inadequate next to their colleagues and peers. They can also be rather prevalent in women and people of color who have been conditioned with this idea, such as men are smarter than girls at math or science, or people of color have to work twice as hard to be seen as competent. These types of messages become internalized, causing us to consistently see ourselves as inadequate. Comparison is going to be your kryptonite here because you often think you're, you often make these unequal and unrealistic comparisons, right? You think that you have to look like Halle Berry, have the ambition of Kamala Harris, the financial savvy of Melanie Hobson, the flair of Anna Wintour, and the benevolence of Mother Teresa. I mean, it's like perfectionist, natural genius, and soloist all rolled into one and on steroids. 
So if this is you, you'll have to learn to stop comparing and judging yourself. You'll also need to stop overextending yourself and learn how to distinguish, distinguish between what's essential and what's not. No is a complete sentence and needs no further explanation. So keep in mind that while you can do anything, you can't do everything. So celebrate all that you have to offer. Get support where you need to and stop thinking the buck must always start and stop with you. It's important to know that imposter syndrome syndrome doesn't really go away, but its power over you can be greatly limited. So when you're experiencing fear and anxiety related to imposter syndrome, don't try to suppress it. Instead, explore it so you can understand how it may be manifesting in your life and career so you can stop operating within these limited frameworks. So now that you know about imposter syndrome, where it may originate from you and the types of imposter syndrome you may be experiencing, what do you do about it? Well, I want to offer you six steps. The first is to acknowledge that you're feeling like an imposter when it's happening. Don't try to squash it, ignore it, but really acknowledge what's going on and try to determine which of the types you may be experiencing. Then determine what you're thinking and where it's coming from. Is it familial, cultural, or societal, or something else? And then look at, are you engaging in certain coping mechanisms or are you about to engage in a certain coping mechanism like self-sabotage, procrastinating, saying no, or something, or underperforming or overperforming? And then ask yourself, how is sitting in this and taking these coping mechanism actions impacting me? What's it costing me? What opportunities am I missing out on? Next, you want to spend some time brainstorming some intentional thoughts, some different ways of thinking than some of the thoughts like it was an accident or, you know, they were just being nice or I got lucky or things of that nature. Change those faulty thoughts and think of some intentional thoughts, some goal setting thoughts you can have that you can believe. Find a thought that will work for you to move you out of this fear and discomfort into something that allows you to move forward and positive. Then consider what new action steps you can embrace to reinforce these new thoughts, beliefs, and feelings. So you're not engaged in coping mechanisms, but you're taking different actions to get the results that you really want. Spend some time leaning into your genius, your strengths, your skills, and your values. This is the work that I do with my clients in the Career Rebel Academy, and it's the first step of my AAA framework. And when you can develop cellular level confidence in these things and learn to manage your mindset and that faulty thinking around it, you'll be in a much better position to combat the negative effects of imposter syndrome. Also, start normalizing conversations around success and achievements. Get comfortable with talking about your capabilities. And listen, if you're in leadership, do this with your team. When you start shifting your thinking, you'll ultimately start shifting your ultimate results. It's a daily practice, one that you can engage in. In fact, you have to engage in it because you didn't get here overnight. So it's not going to change in just one sitting of doing this work. These steps will help you to slay the effects of imposter syndrome once and for all. Well, there you have it, Rebels. Listen, before we go, I want to invite you to attend a monthly facilitated discussion on how to successfully navigate the key issues facing midlife career professional women, particularly those who are at senior levels or rising executives or experienced high achievers. I call it the boardroom. 
And our next boardroom roundtable will be on Friday, June 24th at 10 a.m. And you can register at www.carolparkerwalsh.com forward slash boardroom. I'll drop the link in the show notes for your convenience. And if you can't make it, I'll give you the recording of the roundtable so that you can listen to it later. But if you do attend, you'll have a chance to submit questions in advance so that they can get answered or ask your questions at the time so they can be answered in our live session. It's a great opportunity to discuss the things that you really don't have the space or time to discuss anywhere else. And I created this forum just for you. Okay, until next time, have an amazingly rebellious week. Hey, if you're loving what you're learning on the podcast, then you've got to come check out the Career Rebel Academy. It's where you'll get the individual help and support you need applying the concepts and strategies you're learning here and so much more. You'll be joined by a community of other rebels just like you, and I'll be there as your guide every step of the way. If you're genuinely looking to change the course of your life and career, I promise you, this is the place you'll want to be. Just go to www.carolparkerwalsh.com forward slash career dash rebel dash academy. I can't wait to see you there.